The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes. A frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction and uh, the addicts that uh, fall prey to it, like myself. And uh, my uh, co-host, as always, Dan Trelaro from Epic Risk Management. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Craig. Good morning. It's good to be uh, back in the New Jersey area for a day or two. There you go. Danny's been traveling the country talking to uh, college athletes uh, from coast to coast. So good to have him uh, home for a moment or two. Joining us uh, from New Jersey is Lorenzo. And Lorenzo, like myself and Dan, is a gambler in recovery. Lorenzo, good morning, and thank you so much for stopping by today. Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing good. When was your last wager, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, a little over six years ago. Congratulations. That's awesome. Great. Thank you. Let's uh, let's tell part of your story, at least in the time we have. Uh, when did you start gambling? And before it ever became a problem, as you kind of look back on your life with the clarity you now have, uh, when do you remember your first uh, kind of introduction to gambling? Uh, I mean, very, very first introduction would have been like, you know, pitching quarters, uh, you know, as a kid. Right. You know, like that, that far back. Uh, but, you know, I was, I was addicted to everything and anything way before I even understood what any of that even meant. Gotcha. So you are, so gambling was not your only vice. Yeah. No, definitely not. I got you. I so I hear you. I hear you. Uh, you know, it's funny. A buddy of mine. Uh, I remember. Never forget. A buddy of mine had an older brother, and his brother, kind of like us, you know, got into everything and anything he could. And his dad sat him down and say, and his dad sat him down one day and said, "Listen, it's okay to have one vice, but you can't have all the vices. So yeah. you know, so pick one. That you know, that kind of conversation. <laughs> when did you, as you look back? When did you start gambling, at least on a regular basis? Again, even before it became problematic, were you a young guy or did, were you a little bit older when that started? No, I, I would say I would say probably like mid mid to late twenties when okay. it really started becoming a regular a regular event. And was that casino gambling? Was it sports gambling? A combination? What how, what was your kind of you know game I of mean, choice at the beginning? Yeah, I mean it really it really for me it was poker. Got it. And then turned into some sports betting, but for real, but the mainly was poker. And was that a Chris moneymaker thing, or was you were playing poker long before Holden became so popular? Funny enough, as you get as you get deeper into recovery, you get a chance to get back on some stuff. Uh, on my honeymoon, I spent a big portion of my honeymoon because that was the year that moneymaker went. Right. Um, on a big portion of my honeymoon, I spent late night while my wife would be asleep or whatever. Watching, uh, watching the main event. So definitely and, played a part. And as a guy who liked to play cards, you've said to yourself, "Oh, that's not that difficult. I know how to play poker. I could well, do that too, right?" The thought was, if this guy could do it, why right. can't I? Yeah. And by the way, and Dan, I'll bring you here on this. You know, I bring up Chris Moneymaker uh, when we talk about guys that played poker as their game of choice, because it was a uh, it was a watershed moment in this country for yep. poker for online poker, and for every guy out there, me, you, Lorenzo, who thought he was good at cards, was the best guy in his Friday night game at home, who now said, wait a minute, I could put ten grand together and go to Vegas, and I'm going to win a couple million. 
Yeah, it was that, oh my gosh, here's a normal average guy. That's me sitting at home and I can do the same thing. And when you glamorize it and you see nothing but the positives, we don't know what led up to that. We don't know how much money he had lost previous to that. But here's this on national TV main show oh my gosh, I can do this too. And now I'm going to try and kind of chase that feeling. I want to be famous. I want to be that person that everyone sees. If he can do it, I can do it. No doubt. So did you start playing a lot of online poker, though, or no? Uh, No, a lot of it was, uh, a lot of it was underground games, you know, backyard games, stuff like that, which, you know, also helped feed other addictions. And uh, it was, they were were all like intertwined. It was, it was a very, it was a, a very, uh, insane way to live for uh, sure just being one of them yeah people don't understand the underground games and i played in a lot of them uh it's it's one of those it's it's a hard thing to explain like a lot of people watch the movie rounders and think they understand you know what the underground card game scene is like and you know teddy kgb ain't at those at those games at least the ones i played in there are people like him but it's one of those things where there's an assumption when you go to those games that you want to do everything and everything is provided for you because you're willing to go there and lose your money. And, and I experienced the same exact thing, Lorenzo. And I look back on it now and I'm like, man, you're so much smarter than that. Like you, you had to know that wasn't smart. Like I'm in Koreatown and I'm not going to say exactly where, of course, cause they did nothing wrong. I did. And it's, you know, I got a radio show to do at six o'clock in the morning and at three 30, I'm given a secret password to be buzzed into an apartment that doesn't exist to go play cards with guys, and I'm not the only guy there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And not only that, but also it's like it is a a great, and I'm being sarcastic by saying it, but it, it's a great environment to do anything that you want in a negative way. You will find someone there that will help nurture that that way of love that way of living like it doesn't matter what it is yeah that's a great way to put it i've told people now that i'm in recovery you know uh over four years that there are people that are no longer in my life because they can't because it's not healthy for me same with you guys where they did nothing wrong and no even knowing my story knowing how i got in trouble knowing all that stuff that's involved with it there's no joke if i picked up the phone right now and said, I want to do A, B, and C, whatever those bad things are, they'd be in my house in 20 minutes to pick me up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So how did so how did it become problematic for you? Were you you started playing too much, you it overtook your life, you're wagering too much. How did it go from, hey, I like playing poker, I'm pretty good at it, to now it's a problem? Um, I mean, again, because it was always like connected to other other addictions as well, I just always I was okay with whatever consequences came about at the time, whether it be, uh, you know, a little, a little skid bid, a little state bid, uh, you know, doing some county time, whatever came along with the life I was living, I was okay with. Right. Uh, and then the the problem was, as, as a friend of mine just said one day, uh, the consequences just got too great, but I couldn't stop. So, right. So you process, hey, I can do a month in county, a week in county, sure. uh, but as that progresses, the amount of time progresses, the level of type place you're at progresses, and then you get into a position where you're not going to be well. Correct. Correct. So it, it was a really crazy way to think. And, you know, early on, you know, as a kid, you know, you get sentenced to a couple of years in state prison. You're like, all right, you go, you almost wear it as a badge of honor. It's, an uh, again, insane way of thinking and living. 
But you go, you do it, you come back, then you get a little older, have some, you know, get married, have some kids, you know, try to like live somewhat of a normal life. Right. Uh, but, but still feed your addictions. Uh, eventually, you know, time will catch up. And, and if it, if it's not prison and insanity, it'll be death. And, and for me, it was all three. Uh, I was brought back from death, but it was all three. So, wow. so uh, there yeah. was nowhere to go. That's it. That's interesting. So your health took a, took a hit too, obviously. Sure. And what's the, the what's if you don't mind me asking, and by all means, if you don't want to share, I respect that. You know, you acknowledge that. You know, you went away for a bit, but what happened where uh, you almost lost your life? I mean, I overdosed. Got it. So yeah, you know. Got it. That's scary. What yeah. um, I did your marriage survive all this or no? You know, oddly enough, uh, like at the very end, when when it really came to an end, uh, uh, you know, my wife was gone in her own in her own way. My my kids were uh, uh, taken by DIFUS, CTS. Um, everything was gone, and it gave me like having the deck cleared. Actually, gave me the ability to just focus on what I needed to do for me for the moment. Um, and it was the best thing ever because because of those first like that first year uh, in the county with recovery around recovering addicts, trying to just support me becoming better um, within a very realistically short period of time. And this is just my story. This doesn't happen for everybody. Sure. Um, you know, I got my kids back. All four of my kids were back with me, full custody. Uh, me and my wife worked on our marriage. We've, we're at a, a better place now than we've ever been. Um, and, you know, slowly we're able to rebuild. But realistically, you know, as I said in the beginning of the show, I've just recently celebrated six years. The the miracles just keep on popping in. That's um, so awesome to hear that. You know, and, I, and yeah. listen, not to blow smoke up your ass because I know you don't want that or need that, but none of that happens without you being willing to put in the work and also – kind of drop the ego a little bit and recognize, you know what, I'm not that cool, I'm not that guy, I'm making bad decisions, it's negatively impacting other people, and I'm going to own it. And that took me forever to get to that place too. But once you own it, and you really own it, you don't just pay lip service to it, you're right, like everything can, doesn't always work out this way, Dan, right? But everything can get better. You know, you lose relationships, and I don't want to minimize that, because you do lose important relationships, financial issues, marital issues, kid issues, living issues. But once you are willing to be honest about, I've got a problem, and it's my problem, things can get better literally starting the next day. They do. And it, and it comes down to that, that checking that ego at the door. And I think that's the common characteristic that we all have is that in the midst of that gambling, you know, it, you mentioned before, Lorenzo, like going to prison at, at a season of your life, it was like a badge of honor. And I, I can relate to that because there was a part of that where it was so crappy to be there and you'd be around guys listening to what they talk and how they describe being in prison. The thing that really amazed me was how they talked about time passing. You know, you get guys with a five-year sentence, and they're like, oh, it's just a little five years. I think now when I'm just going about everyday life, five years is a long time to be missing uh, life, right, and living it there. So it goes back to ego. It goes back to perception. It goes back to experience. But life can get better when we just drop all that stuff at the door and say, I surrender. I'm done. 
I'm getting the crap kicked out of me every day by this addiction. I need to do something different. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. We're going to take a quick break. Continue on with Lorenzo and Dan right after this on Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management, and uh, Lorenzo, who's sharing his story with us, Lorenzo, like myself and Dan, is a gambler in recovery. Lorenzo, let me just ask, what was the bottom of the barrel moment for you that made you eventually decide to go get the help that you've gotten? And uh, and I wonder if you could share that story with us. Sure. Uh, well, I was I was arrested, uh, also known as being rescued. Um, and I just remember laying on the grass on my front lawn and my at the time, my 12-year-old daughter was sitting on the front steps watching this chaos ensue uh, with, you know, multiple agencies, cops, everyone's all around, you know, screaming, yelling, going through the house. Uh, um, and I just remember, the, like, the, the she, she was like a deer in the headlights, and I was just looking at her the whole time, and I'm, and I'm like, and I'm trying to tell her it's going to be okay. And again, still in that moment, knowing it's not going to be okay, but still trying to play the part like I had it all under control. Like, this was all part of a master plan. Right. Um, and, and, and it's funny because, um, you know, it wasn't until I, I really early on after I, I, maybe 10, 11 months in recovery, I, I remember going to a meeting. I was so angry. I was such an angry person. I was always screaming and yelling and the system sucked and everyone sucked. And, you know, it was just, uh, you know, poor me, right? right. It wasn't me. It was, it was the world. It wasn't me. Um, and I just remember lashing out at a meeting, talking about my kids being in DIFUS custody and how horrible DIFUS was, and they weren't letting me see my kids. And I was going to hire the best lawyer, and da 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 da. And a, a, a person came up to me after the meeting. He said, "Hey, man," he's like, uh, "I appreciate your share," and etc. And he said, "Last week you were talking about living on your mom's couch, right?" And I said, uh, "Yeah." And he goes, well, "Where are you getting the money for this high-priced lawyer that's going to fight DIFUS?" <laughs> And it just it like th- those little reality checks. Yeah, he, um, call, he called you on your book wrap. Absolutely, those little reality checks as they were happening. Um, and then, and then, and then another woman who had been through the typhus uh, situation said to me, "Here, here's an odd idea. He's like, stop fighting him. How about you just call him up tomorrow and go, hey, listen, you know what? Whatever you want to do, I'll do it, and see if that works." Right. And uh, <laughs> magically, you know, as I follow suggestions from people who had been there and done that, the the experience of others. Uh, gave me the ability to stop trying to fix, manage, and control every situation in my life, uh, get honest, say, look, I got no no idea what I'm doing. I need help. Will somebody help me? Um, and, and life just really just little by little, I started seeing the little fruits of, of recovery. Um, and, you know, th- things have, have really, you know, taken a turn. And, and I went back to school. My wife went back to school. My kids are all great. I got kids in college now. Um, you know, life is good. No, it sounds, it sounds amazing. I got chills listening to you talk because, you know, these are the stories people need to hear because you've seen both sides of it. You've been at the lowest of lows. You know, being incarcerated ain't fun. It's not a picnic. It's it's a dangerous, dangerous place with, you know, a lot of bad people. There are some good people in there, too, for sure. People that you meet. I, I've told this story before, Lorenzo, where, you know, I, and I, I did, I was on the way for a year, but I met people in there that changed my life for the better. From the standpoint that, you know, on a piece of paper, if you read what they were convicted of or what they allegedly did, I wouldn't let them within a thousand miles of my family, right? 
Mm-hmm. And yet I found, not all of them, because I was away with some bad people too, people who I literally wouldn't let within a thousand miles of my family. But I also met other guys who were the most loyal, honest, giving, righteous people that I've ever met in my entire life. And once again, you know, when you wake up at six in the morning to a bed check, or go, you know, three times a day, they're checking you. And you're just another guy, you know, wearing tans. You know, you kind of lose sight of a lot of things. And these are some of the guys that got me straight. You know, guys who've done serious bids in their lifetime, not just, you know, a year in a federal place or the amount of time you may have done or Danny, what you did, who every day of my stay there reinforced, you know, you don't belong here. You shouldn't be here. Get your crap together and start figuring it out and stop blaming everybody else. You're here because of you. And, and, I think because I respected them and their backgrounds, guys much tougher than me, guys from different backgrounds than me, I think that's ultimately what allowed me to really pay homage to, I need help, I messed up, it's on me, and get to a place that I'm at today. And I don't know, like you said something, Lorenzo, that when you got arrested, that was like your salvation, looking back on it. You know, in the time oh, when you know when you get arrested in the time, it's the worst thing that could ever happen to your entire life, especially with your kids watching it go down or being aware of it. But looking back on it, it saved your life. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. And and it is. I, I I I credit like those first people, those those beginning people. It's, it's funny, you know. I still live in the town where 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 it all uh, where it all happened. I mean, it's I, it's not like I went too far. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the cops here all know the, the background story. And now, you know, instead of like ducking and dodging when I'm around them, I, you know, we wave, we say hello, we speak, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they coach my kids in, in sports and, you know, that, that whole gamut. And it yep. was, it was people, um, early on, I was, I was fortunate enough, lucky, lucky enough. I got into a, uh, a program at the County facility that I was at that, uh, was dedicated for, addiction that's the whole program was centered around addiction at the county level and uh and i wasn't even supposed to be in that program my my status uh, i had a high status would would not allow me needed a minimum status because of my charges and my background didn't allow me into the program and it was a it was a captain at the time i basically just broke down in front of him i said listen man my life is garbage i need i need to do something right and uh he like took pity on me um, and, uh, you know, gave me an override, which has removed my status and gave me a lower status. So that way I can go into the program. Hmm. Um, and I credit, I credit the captain who, who took pity on me and the, the officer who was in charge of the program staff that was there, um, in, uh, uh pr- previous, uh, previous inmates, previous people who had background in, in, in addiction coming in and bring, bringing in meetings every single night, every single night they brought a recovery meeting, um, you know, not that wasn't part of the wasn't part of like the curriculum there. It wasn't like the recovery side right. side of it. This was like twelve step programs coming in every single night. Um, you know, bringing in the message of recovery and, and meeting people that had done fifteen years. And I'm like, yeah, it's all crap. And he's like, well, I did fifteen years, and I'm able to put my life together. And I'm like, what? Right. Slowly believing uh, those stories. And it was those same people that I then hooked up with when I came home because I didn't know what to do. I, I did know that everyone co- consistently would tell me when you get out, make a meeting. So that, that, 
was the same kind of repetitive sure. information that I got. And I'm sure anybody who's been in recovery understands what that means is, uh, you know, because you don't know what else to do. So you make a meeting and you connect with people and, and uh, that's what I did. I hit the, they, they finally, after 11 months, uh, let me go on a bracelet once they figured out what they wanted to do with my case. Um, and, uh, you know, was released and then just started making meetings. And, and I think it's great. Like your story is powerful and moving. And, yeah. and uh, I'm proud of you because I know the exact steps you took to get to where you're at. I lived it as Dan did, too. You know, the system is not set up for you to get back to your life. You know, recovery is for sure. The rooms are for sure. The penal system's not. They don't give a rat's ass normally whether you make it back to your life or your kids or your family or a job ever again. So it's harder than what most people think to kind of legitimately get back into a, a positive lifestyle once you're out. Uh, and you're, you're trailed for a very, very long time. That paperwork stays in your life for a very, very long time. I wonder if you could do me a, a solid here. There's a lot of people listening right now who might be at, you know, day one. They might still be dealing with, you know, addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, and, of course, for our purposes, gambling, who uh, recognize they have a problem, but, you know, they don't know how to how to you know, handle it. They don't know where to go, what to do. You know, it's daunting for them. It's overwhelming for them. The, wall, the walls are caving in. And I think hearing people like you talk about, you know, being at the bottom of the barrel, being incarcerated, all the things you went through, and now living an amazing life worth living and having your family by your side, what would you say to those people who are at step one of this journey to give them some hope that they can get there too? It's funny because I do. I Hang on, and it gets greater later. I mean, that's just the reality of it. I, I, I didn't know why I kept coming. For real, it was just, it, for me, it was blind faith. I did not see, and I'm not saying faith in a religious way. I'm saying just faith that the yeah. people that were around weren't lying. I could meet complete strangers. Um, it, it, you know, as a <clears throat> as a street guy, uh, uh, an addict of all sorts, uh, you know, having a judge or a lawyer or, or caseworker or, or any, any PhD, anybody with a, initials after their name, telling me that I could do it wasn't as powerful as complete strangers telling me that I could do it who really didn't want anything out of me uh, other than just seeing me do well. Right. And, you know, w walking into rooms and, and it, it's not easy. Listen, it, uh, you know, I might, I might be comfortable now. I can walk into rooms all across America now and, and feel comfortable. That is a, that is an awkward feeling, you yep. know, um, to walk into a place and, you know, just sit there. Um, you don't have to raise your hand. Like if you are a newcomer, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to speak. You could just listen. Even that was very uh, tough for me to do. Just sit there and listen to people um, basically tell their story or, or give give a uh, therapy on, on up a specific uh, subject. It didn't feel right. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, especially for me, you know, man's man, right? Yep. Like you're not supposed to have feelings. You're not supposed to have emotions. Um, you're supposed to be a tough guy. You did prison. That all, all like this, the, the the crap that you know. I believed what it was to be a man. Uh, all needed to change, uh, but it doesn't happen overnight. And keep coming is the saying because you're not going to get it in one day. You're not going to get that perspective or that feeling that things are going to get better, or that comfortability overnight. You have to keep showing up. Um, and eventually, you know, it happens. That's why they say don't leave until the miracle happens. That's well, the miracle. I, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing the story. 
If I can ever return the favor, uh, please uh, ask me to because I'd love to. And uh, keep doing what you're doing because you're doing a great job. Your kids should be proud of you. I'm sure they are. I'm sure your wife's uh, proud of you as well. And uh, I hope that we can meet in person one day and uh, shake hands. Uh, but I really appreciate you sharing your story, and I think it makes a difference for people out there that might be going down that road. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me, bud. Hey, before we get out of here, Dan, I just want to give you a chance to comment on Lorenzo's story and uh, the journey as he described it. You know, it's powerful, it's moving, and if nothing else, I think his story gives everybody out there hope that, hey, if he could do it, I could do it. Yeah, it, it's a reminder that, you know, people who struggle with addiction are not always, you know, bad people. We, we, we make bad choices, bad decisions. We're, we're, we're struggling with this powerful thing that, that just, if you're not addicted, you, you just don't quite understand it. You know, the, the commonality, even when I was at a campus in central Arkansas uh, this past week, one of the student athletes afterwards said, well, why didn't you ever just stop? Like, wh- why is it so difficult to stop? It's not like you're putting drugs in your body. And we talked like 15 minutes after that because gambling is a drug. It, it doesn't, you don't put it in the same way that you do with substance, but it's a drug that enters your body. It impacts your mind. It's a behavioral disorder, right? It's a, it's a non-substance addiction. And so it, for people who haven't lived that life, they, they'll never really fully understand it. And to hear Lorenzo's story of, you know, returning back and spending his time in prison and now, you know, for the last six years, life gets better. And I love what he said, you know, just hang on, you know, it gets better as time goes on. And it's so true. And it's a reminder that we just constantly have to continue to check our egos at the door. Yeah. Because as soon as that keeps, if the ego bubbles up, that's when we start to run the risk of, of, of return to use. To me, that's the key thing. Everyone's got to know it. Um, we can all pay lip service to it, but I don't think you can get the help, but I don't think you can overcome uh, gambling addiction until you take ownership that you're the problem. Uh, yeah. And until you're willing to do that, do that for real. Not to, like I said, not just say it in a meeting or tell it to family members or loved ones. You have to live it. It's got to be in your soul. And one, I'm telling you, the day you do that, the, everything starts getting better. But it's it starts with honesty. Better. And, you know, somebody once said to me a very funny thing. They said, your butt has to get smaller in recovery. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, your B-U-T, not your B-U-T-T, your butt. Less use of the word butt, because when you enter recovery early on, a lot of people will say, well, I did this butt, right? And that's kind of that hedge to say, you know, it really wasn't my fault. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. So you've got to get that butt a little bit smaller as recovery goes on, because then you just take that ownership and say, listen, I'm a flawed human being. I need support, and I'm looking for help and guidance. Well, Dan, as always, appreciate your time and what you're doing on campuses across America with Epic Risk Management. That's Dan Trelara. We'll do it again next week. Okay, pal? Sounds great, man. Have a great week. All right, coming up at 10, it's Joe and Evan together again. And then, of course, Evan and I, uh, Monday at 2 o'clock, get you uh, through all the Mets baseball, the Jets and Giants, and get ready for some Yankee playoff baseball as well. It's going to be a great week, and we look forward to you joining us Monday at 2 o'clock right here on The Fan. Have a great weekend, and thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.